All right, if you, if you don't know me, I'm Dawson, and I always say this, but it's kind of just what I like to say. I am a son of God. That's the first thing you need to know about me. I'm redeemed, and I love being a member of this church. It is so uh, fun, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm glad to be shepherded, Kyleo, by your pastoral tone. I, I love it, and I'm, I'm lo- I, I enjoy these spiritual practices we, in, we engage in, including the celebration of baptism like today. Um, so I get to preach occasionally. I didn't for like a month in December. So you all probably should be really nervous because after a month of not preaching, this could go really long. But I, I really enjoyed sitting under, uh, we had two brothers, Andrew and Brandon, who led us through the season of Advent in such a powerful way of expectancy. <laughs> I don't think, I think they're both out, I I know at least one of them has COVID, so they'll hear the clap on the recording. Um, But what a powerful time. It is my joy to preach. I did miss it. It's not the only thing I do. It's not even the most important thing I do, but I do enjoy it. And the reason I mention that, I have my parents here today, and I was thinking this morning, they they live on the other side of the country, so it is uh, appropriate that I acknowledge it. I'm glad you're here. But I was thinking this morning, there's a guy named John Stott, and he says about preaching, that preaching is a bridge between two worlds, the world of the Bible and the the world, the, the culture that we're in. And I was thinking this morning that the deposit, oh, I'm getting emotional, I'm just uh, the deposit my parents gave me, um, I guess the spirit wants me to feel this one. That's good. Uh, my, my, the fact that I have two parents is a huge blessing. Some of you know that. The, the fact that both my parents follow Jesus is a blessing. You know that. And um, those two worlds, my mother is like the Gandalf of the Bible. <laughs> she is... She, the Gandalfina, and, and my dad is like a Yoda of people and culture, and I just think the deposit you guys gave me is really rich. So I was thinking about that this morning, and that's a little, if you're here for the first time, that's a little strange. I usually wouldn't start that way, but thank you. Thank you, guys. Whew, what'd you say about gospel fluency for emotions? Is this good? This is good. This is good. Okay. Guys, open to Matthew 5. Now, I'm going to wait because I actually do want you to have Matthew 5 open. That can be on your phone, that can be in paper, and if you don't have it, that's okay. We will read it over you eventually. Matthew 5 begins with this verse. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And we're going to stop there. Perhaps that verse is familiar to you, maybe not. It is the beginning, the opening verse to one of the most familiar passages in all of Scripture, one of the largest chunks of a familiar passage in all of Scripture, and it's even been given a name, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon, a sermon on a hill, kind of a trite name for something that is quite extraordinary. In that verse, we have Jesus sitting down with his disciples, and he's doing something with them that the little title, Sermon on the Mount, doesn't quite get to. A very apt, appropriate, not exaggerated name could be that he's about to give them a radical manifesto, Jesus' vision of the flourishing life, 
the flourishing good life under his rule and reign. That's not an exaggeration. But since that's a mouthful, we decide to call it the good life. You got that slide, Andre? The good life. The good life according to Jesus. Now, since our bookstores, especially in the last couple of decades, are full of books uh, about the good life, about pursuing the happy life, I need to give you a little bit of a spoiler. Spoiler that the people seated on the hills would also, on the hill, would also, on the mountain, would also have benefited from hearing that possibly the good life that you and I instinctively want might not be the good life that we desperately need. And it might not be the good life that Jesus is going to benevolently offer. Okay? That's the spoiler. It might, might be that today we might again recognize that the kingdom that we would imagine for us is outside the borders of the kingdom that Jesus actually has for us. And with that, I want to give you an illustration, a story of literally finding yourself on the wrong side of the border, okay? I grew up in Eastern Europe in a little country called Slovakia, formerly Czechoslovakia, and uh, in my teens was involved as a um, in youth ministry with these camps. We'd bring teams from the states or different parts of the world to do these uh, ministry camps, and we would, because we're in Eastern Europe, uh, where their people are... Uh, adventurous, glad to hike. We do these all day like um, treasure hunt games where we divide up into teams and, you know, the classic treasure hunt. But because we're in Eastern Europe, it would be like a 10 or 12 mile hike that would last like for, for hours. Okay. So I was team leader. It's probably 16. Bad idea. Team leader at 16. And we were given like this, it was something between like a little manifesto or like a map, like these little clues map. And you're supposed to, you're racing the other teams uh, to get to the end. And so um, these slightly vague clues, little tricky little riddles, you, you get to a, a checkpoint, you, you try to figure out where you're going. You know, you guys know this, right? So we're getting down um, to last few clues. And increasingly, as we're like exploring, we, we are not finding that the clues are matching to anything we're seeing. So we're starting to get super creative. The clue says something like, at the bend, ask the lady for a letter. And we're like in the middle of the woods. There's no, like we, we see a bend in a path and we're like, maybe this tree is the lady and maybe we're supposed to grab a leaf. We're getting super creative. Bottom line, sun starts to go down, and we, 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 are, we have no idea where we are. So, I, like, we turn around, we start to, like, go back or, or something. We come up over this hill. You're going to think I exa I'm exaggerating. I kind of am. But I, I, uh, I kid you not, this is the picture that we see as we come over the hill. The only exaggeration in this picture is that the guy with the machine gun isn't on the car He's standing by it, okay? And there's two of them. Now listen, unlike right now, where there is unrest in this part of the world, this is not like war zone Eastern Europe. This is like civilized somewhat, like Eastern Europe in, in the nine, early 2000s, okay? So there's no reason that for a Lada, that truck right there, 
with a machi- two machine gun guys to be in the middle of the woods. So I come up there because I'm team leader, and I say, Are, is everything okay in Slovak, my native tongue there? And they reply in Polish. Well, we'll see. <laughs> and we're like, oh, hi. Like, we're, is, is, like we, we're just trying to get back to our, uh, to our camp. I explain it. And he says, well, that might be difficult. And I said, no, 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 like, we, we're, we're honestly no problems. We just want to go back. He's, and I'm like, we just want to go back. And he's like, your back is that way, like the, behind him. The, he says, you've crossed into Poland, and you can't just go back without us taking you to a police station. So all these 15-year-old American girls who, like, came are, like, sob. It's the scariest things that ever happened in their lives. It, it honestly wasn't that big of a deal. Another lot of came after a few hours and some passports and explanation. It was, everything was fine, okay? But the reason I share that story is that what's happening with Jesus and the, the crowd around him is actually something quite similar. Jesus takes time to slow down, sit with these people and say, hey, for a while now, I think you might be misinterpreting my manifesto. I think you might be misreading the map, misreading the clues. You are completely off the map of my heart. Let me, it's actually this way. Let me invite you again to re-explore what it is to be a part of my kingdom. And so we have... The mountain, the man, the message, real quick. The mountain, I said it's a trite name, but it's actually, mountains are significant in scripture. It was actually uh, St. Augustine or Augustine, uh, an African theologian from the fourth century who gave this powerful chunk of text, the name, the Sermon on the Mount, because he knew that mountains in the Bible are where earth-shaking things happen. Big things happen. Specifically, you might remember, there's an important moment in the Old Testament where a little man named Moses comes and meets with God on a mountain called Sinai. And God gives him, what? Ten Commandments, a manifesto of the best way to live. Look, live under my rule in this way, the best life. The man that we have now, the God-man on this mountain, is a new Moses. He's a new Moses. He's bringing a clear message from God of what his heart is, what the law of the Lord, Lord is. And like this new, new Moses, Jesus is giving his people, God's people, a message about the best way to live under his rule, under the smile of God. More than that, though people don't know it, Jesus is also going to be the new Moses who redeems people like me and Sean from slavery to sin. And he's going to be the new Moses that walks them into the promised land of the kingdom. And the message... Well, the message actually is like super practical. 
It's very practical. If you're wondering, how is a 2,000-year-old sermon helpful for me today? Well, here's the table of contents. Anger. Marriage. Divorce. Lust. Money. Happiness. Anxiety. Wisdom. Truth. I mean, that's all the things. It's all the things. Why do we need, like the original hearers, to sit at Jesus' feet? Well, I think you're already tracking, and we, we might be off the map individually, as a church, or as the church in the West. We might need to sit under the sermon and allow Jesus to say, hey, let's go back through. This is my manifesto. This is the map. A couple ways we might be off the map culturally, okay, as a church. Uh, we might be off the map in our distinction, right? We talked about this a lot in our Daniel series. This is going to be a continued theme from the, uh, from the fall, but it's going to be more, more nuanced. Off the map in our distinction, I'm going to do a couple stats here, so a little... little little nerd out, but I'll get back, okay? Statistically, without even getting to the specific of the stats, statistically, sadly, when we do, when there are, when there are um, uh, what do you call it in English, surveys? When there are surveys of uh, the church, statistically, we're actually usually pretty close to the same kind of lifestyle that people outside the church live. I don't know if you've seen these. Um, in terms of sexuality and pornography, almost identical in the church is outside. That's crazy. We might be off the map. Spending habits and finances almost identical to those who don't follow Jesus. Well, if that's the case, we, we might be off the map. Lifestyle choices almost identical to those who don't follow Jesus. I, I just read Bono's biography and uh, I'm reminded of a, a song that I didn't know he wrote, Johnny Cash sang. And uh, there's a line in it that says, they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. You might have heard us say, uh, I think, uh, a quote from Mark Sayers, we want the kingdom without the king. Well, I didn't know it originated with Bono and, and uh, Johnny Cash. But that's, we, we want the kingdom, but we don't want someone to actually tell us how to live, <laughs> right? We want the good life, but not under rule. And uh, we're all like uh, B.J., B.J. Novak's character in The Office, which I'm realizing, I talk about The Office a lot, and I'm, I think I'm getting older than some of you, because like, because there's, there's all you guys who are having babies for the first time, you're like, yeah, I remember, I think my, my parents watched that. Um, but The Office, can you throw up B.J. Novak's beautiful face? Uh, this is his quote, which I think is just so beautiful. He says, I want guidance. I want leadership. But don't just boss me around, you know? Like, lead me. Lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. <laughs> if that's not like a manifesto for the millennial, that I don't know what is. <laughs> lead me when I'm in the mood to be led. It's like half of my pastoral counseling sessions. Um, and so, so back to the table of contents. Anger, marriage, lust, divorce, honesty, truth, money. We've lost our distinction. If we've lost our distinction, we might be off the map. 
okay? We, we might be off the map in our identity in so many different ways in our identity. What we're going to get with the sermon is it's so easy. It's so easy to define ourselves by secondary issues rather than the primary issues of allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. And if the last few years haven't proven that, good gracious. There's so much virtue signaling in the church today. And guess what? It's not new. Jesus is responding to a bunch of Pharisees who were virtual, virtue signaling like kings. Like if they were on Instagram, their feed would be buzzing. And it would probably have a ton of followers because they were pros at saying, look at me. I care about this. I'm not like them. Social media today is the newly constructed temple where we play out the drama of the tax collector. Remember the tax collector in the temple who said, thank you, God, that you've kept me in, that I'm not like those people. Social media is the new temple where we, where we go. It's like, thank you, God, that I'm not like those liberals, that I'm not like those conservatives. Thank you that I have the correct view on immigration or the war or, or sex. A New York pastor named John Tyson says, church, just because you have an opinion on secondary cultural issues doesn't mean that you have the heart of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, careful, here we go, leans conservative on sexual issues and liberal on justice issues. He's not going to fit into your categories. What's the most defining trait about your, about your relationship with, what's the most defining trait about your Christianity? That's an important question. We might be off the map in our witness Again, John Tyson, same guy, pointed to another study on evangelicals. And if that evangelical word, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to. Tacoma thinks of you as an evangelical, okay? It's really important. Tacoma thinks of you as an evangelical. And as they pulled people outside of the church on evangelicals, I'm going to read this quote. This is the summary of the whole survey. Evangelicals were called, take a deep breath, illiterate, greedy, psychos, Racist, idiots, fanatics, nutcases, screaming loons, delusional, simpletons, pompous, morons, cruel, nitwicks, and freaks. And that's just a partial list. Some people don't have any idea, this is still quoting, what evangelicals actually are or what they believe. They just know they can't stand evangelicals. And let's be clear, this sermon... Because we're going to talk about a lot of, like, issues. This sermon is not to the world to get their act together. This sermon is for the church. It's for the church. It's Jesus sitting with his people and saying, come back to my kingdom. Okay? So Jesus, like any good politician, by the way, some of you guys like, he's like almost 20 minutes in. We haven't read any of the sermon yet. I know that's unusual. We usually start with the text. It's intentional today. So hang on. We'll get there. Jesus, like any good politician, during a shift of administration, what, what do they do? Like fall political season. They always they get up and they offer their vision of a good life. They say, here's my policies. Here's my promises. Here's my principles. Here's my values. Here's how we're going to measure it. 
they always get after two big questions. What is the, we could call it, what is the blessed life or the good life, right? And then who's going to make it happen? For them, it's always, I, I will. I'll make it happen. And this is the blessed life. Actually, Jesus is doing the very same thing. The blessed life. Jesus just begins this, this uh, manifesto with describing the, the blessed people of his kingdom. He uses that word, blessed. Now, the word blessed, if you've been with us for at least a year, you've heard us talk about this many times. So sorry if I'm repeating myself. But the word blessed has been completely gutted in our culture from its heavy, loaded scriptural meaning, right? Um, right now... Again, you get on TikTok or Instagram, and there's hashtag blessed. You've heard me say it before, but it's all over. And, but it'll be trite stuff, like I just did 30 minutes on my Peloton, hashtag blessed. Or like I, I just, went, just went snowboarding on Crystal and then had a local IPA with my buds, hashtag blessed. Okay, that's, that's how we use blessed. But we went through a blessed series this summer. You remember us talking about it? Like in the Old Testament, there's, a, there, there's this, this super rich, in, in Hebrew it's ashray, blessed, which is actually this covenantal blessing of God, which is super rich and super loaded. But actually, there's so many words in the Bible that we don't have words for. This is not that word. Blessed in, here in the sermon is not that same word of the covenantal God who has blessed you. In this, um, in this case, Jesus is using um, a word that gets translated in Greek to makarios. Makarios. Can you say that with me? Makarios. Okay? Makarios is more of like a, a description of when you see it and you're like, wow, like that, it's a description of Jesus saying, oh, this is a blessed Person. Oh, this guy must be living in my kingdom. This is, it, it's, Dallas, Dallas Willard puts it this way. Makarios refers to the highest type of well-being possible for human beings. But it is also the term the Greeks used for the kind of blissful existence characteristics of the gods. Okay? So an, a, way to, a way to do this, a way to, the best way I find to translate this, because it's so, like, if you open any number of translations, you'll find so many words. Happy, uh, flourishing. Eugene Peterson uh, um, wanted to translate it lucky, which I think, think would have been dynamite, but the editors wouldn't let him because lucky has so many different connotations, right, and probably good editors. Um, the, the, the way I think it's best to to, to translate this, it's more like a salutation or like a congratulations. Like if I were to go to, to the Ruizes, just had a baby, and, and I were to come to Sarah, uh, that would be a moment to use this word. You'd be like, Makarios, Sarah, Makarios. Like, whoa, richness, abundance, awesome. So like Makarios man or Makarios girl would be a good way to, uh, to translate it. Or I read in one commentary... And I'm so glad we have our Australian friends here today who I can't believe you're here still. Uh, I heard they, one commentary, uh, uh, he said, the Australians have a really good phrase, which I, my friend Dave Miles, who I think you know, he says this a lot. And I'm gonna, I was going to do an Australian accent. And I, okay, I'll still try it. But, <laughs> but you guys say, good on you. Good on you. Good on you. There it is. Thank you. It, that's, what, that's what this blessed is. Like Jesus is like, 
he's, he's describing the people in his kingdom and the elements of his kingdom, and, and he's like, do it real loud, Seth. Good on you. Good on you. Like, he's pointing it out, okay? All right. That's my, like, teaser for, like, a whole season of us diving into this word, okay? I don't feel like I'm barely doing it justice. But here's what these, these so these macarisms, makarios, you got to get used to that word, were very common. It's not like Jesus invented them, okay? And here's a usual one from the Sirah, which is a book in the Catholic Bible and the Orthodox Bible. So um, this is a common list of macarisms, all right? I'm going to read it. I know it's kind of tiny, but I wanted you to see it in one chunk. I can think of nine who I would call blessed, Makarios. I can think of nine who I would call Makarios. And a tenth my tongue proclaims. Here we go. Here's the kind of people who are blessed. A man who can rejoice in his children. Boom. Did you catch that already? We're already narrowing it down. A man, (laughs) so half of you are out, who can rejoice in his children. Another chunk of you are out. Uh, a man who lives to see the downfalls of his foes. Oh, now only a man, a powerful man, a powerful man. A man, uh, a happy the man who lives with a sensible wife, naturally. She needs to please him, cook him, cook for him, all that stuff. Sensible wife. And the one who does not plow with ox and ass together. You know how it goes. <laughs> no, ox and ass together. That's just like a man who like his business is it's in order. Like, you know, ox is here, ass is here. Like, you keep them separate. I'm not joking. That's what it is. It's uh, happy is the one who does not sin with his tongue. Okay. Get behind that one. And the one who has not served an inferior. Inferior. Okay. Slaves, out. Servants, out. And any of you who are not in top management, out. Happy is the one who finds a friend. So you got to have a bunch of friends too. And the one who speaks to attentive listeners. This is like getting really... Like everyone, I guess I got that one right now. Everyone's listening to me. (laughs) How great is the one who finds wisdom, but none is superior to the one who fears the Lord. So that's a real list of macarisms, okay? That's what's super common. That's what people are expecting. And Jesus gets up. It's like him going to Washington, D.C., or probably more appropriately the U.N., because this is world uh, rule, and he gets up. People are ready for his list. Who's the, who's the blessed people? Come on, give us who's the people, who's in, who's out. And this is how he goes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for things to be right, for justice, for they shall be satisfied. Did you feel the inclusion after this list of exclusion? Did you feel him inviting people back in? But believe me, If he was in front of a jury, he's like, blessed are the poor in spirit. They're like, okay. Blessed are those who mourn. By the time he gets to meek, it's like, "Ah." hey, buddy, listen, that was good. But why don't you come back with another elevator pitch once, like, you get into the real world, 
this stuff is great, but it doesn't work. Because it, it doesn't work. Who inherits the earth as you see it? The strong. Who? Keep going. The rich. This isn't a trick question. Like, look outside. Who's inheriting the earth? The strong, the rich, the powerful, the articulate, the educated. Jesus, Jesus is saying, no, I do actually have a different agenda. It's completely upside down. It's completely backwards. And just so you don't think that we are unique to being divided and polarized and everyone has an agenda, this is his, pub, this is his audience. It's the Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots. The, the, each of them had a vision of the good life, a very clear one. The Pharisees, the kingdom of God in their mind is going to be ushered in by going back, getting back to the law. Let's make Palestine great again by getting back, okay? Seriously. Uh, Sadducees are the realists. Look, Jesus, we appreciate your heart for this, but the Romans are here, and we might as well just make peace with them and move on. The Essenes are basically saying this is ridiculous, what's going on. We can just burn this all down and go live in the desert. And the Zealots are like political revolution and overthrow. So summary, one more time, you can do the next slide. Pharisees, let's go back. Sadducees, let's go forward. Essenes are like, let's get out of here. And the zealots are like, get out of my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. Okay? Each of these has a category. Jesus doesn't fit into their agendas. And Jesus, for that reason, sits them down and says, let me tell you about my kingdom. So I'm going to stop. And this is a strange sermon because we're going to actually land on scripture today and we're going to read the whole thing okay we have time because i told the kids we're going to go late today so we do have time it takes 15 minutes i read it with kyleo and uh, and ben it takes 15 minutes and we're going to have three readers you guys can hold on just uh, actually no you can go ahead and come up three readers peter michelle and matt thank you guys i'm going to move this in a second you guys can just come up here they're going to read through the whole thing. If you want to, if you want to, you can open up your Bible, follow along. Or now, if you want to, you can close it and listen to these three. They're going to read it in, uh, in rotation, okay? And right before we do, the last thing I'm going to say is I want us to prepare our hearts to possibly be challenged by Jesus by reading what one guy says is the intent of this sermon on the soul, okay? This is my last introduction, and then we're going to read. This is the intent of the sermon, the Beatitudes and the rest of the sermon on the soul. We can compare the work of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount to that of a plow in the fields. Drawn along with determination, it drives the sharp edge of the plowshare into the earth and carves out, as the poets say, 
a deep wound, a broad furrow. In the same way, the word of the Beatitudes penetrates us with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to break up our interior soil. It cuts through us with the sharp edge of trials and with the struggles it provokes. It overturns our ideas and projects, reverses the obvious, thwarts our desires, and bewilders us, leaving us poor and naked before God. All this in order to prepare a place within us for the seed. Jesus, do that to us now through your word. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses the, that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said that it was said, actually, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do do not resist an evil person. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn, the, excuse me, turn to them the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him take your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the just, the evil and the good, and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, if you love those who love you, 
what reward will you get? Are not even the tax tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do as they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Is not life is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. And if you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who does not, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he is taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. These are the words of our Lord. Good job. But that was rich. Public reading of scripture. We're actually commanded to do it, and uh, for a reason. It's good. Did you catch Jesus' summary? Preachers always have this summary at the end. He lands with a picture, a visual, a house. A house. At the end, he's just this pleading preacher. Guys, listen. If you do what I said... It'll be like your house is on a rock. And please listen, if you don't, it's going to feel like your house is on sand. That's his summary statement. That's how he picked the picture of the house for like the branding of our series. You see the foundation at the bottom? Because we want, increasingly as Alex led us, to be true of us that on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is shifting sand. And our artist, Tori, one of our many artists, Tori drew this picture, and she's going to draw little icons for all of the themes over the next, like, four months, which I've already seen, like, half of them, and it's really fun. Thank you, Tori, who is sick and texted that she's really sad not to be here. So that's why that picture, <clears throat> picture is there. Now, you guys just sat through 15 minutes, and probably some of the stuff kind of like hit you in the face a little bit. Some of that's just because this is wisdom literature that lacks a lot of nuance, right? It's just like mic drops all the time, these statements about divorce, about oaths, about like, it's like, whoa. But part of it is because it hits you in the face because it's Jesus' kingdom and we're living in ours. That's part of it. It's simple as that. So we're going to spend four months, like, allowing that to happen. 
when you go to a different kingdom, that cross-cultural shift is disorienting. You've heard me say this before. Have you ever tried to drive in, say, Australia? Have you tried to drive here, Seth? You did once. How was it? It wasn't so good. Especially when you get to a roundabout and you have no idea. You're like, which way? If you drive on the other side of the road, in a, you're, you're going to get in trouble. This is what Jesus is doing. But here's the thing. It's not that he's like, hey, let's, his is the true side of the road. And we are so quick to think, well, good on you, Jesus. Like, good job reorienting these Pharisees. We assume we're Jesus' co-pilots or better, he's our backseat driver telling us, no, 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 no. It's very, very likely we are in the wrong lane, driving the wrong way. Okay, so have that as a framing for the next four months. We're going to take this really, really slowly. And by the way, I'm so glad that our Soma Lab got bumped because as we engage with this, you will need gospel fluency for your emotions. And this lab is something that um, we're a part of a larger Soma family. Uh, we've been working on in general. We realize it's a huge, uh, a huge gap in our discipleship to Jesus. So I really, this is like a not uh, afterthought, it's a very intentional in my notes plug. There's limited spots, make sure you are there, okay? So you can sign up today. Um, that is next week in the evening. Now, we're gonna go to the table because we do that every week and we actually have 15 minutes. We told the kids that we would go to 45. We're going to go to the table. There's a little bit of tension that you might be feeling. And if you're not, you're going you're gonna to feel the relief anyway. And the tension is this. The way of Jesus' kingdom is one thing. And the way into his kingdom is another thing. Okay? He is describing his kind of people. Redeemed people. He is not asking you to do this so that you're in. And that is so important. You can put that last slide up, Andre. The way of the kingdom is what we just read. But the way into the kingdom, Jesus said, is me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And the sermon, the sermon, points to the preacher who is going to go to the cross. This person announcing the shift in the ruler, in the rulers, his inauguration is what? It's crucifixion. And so the path to true flourishing is going to be through suffering. It's going to be his path, selflessness, being emptied, dying. But the good news is that the good life is Jesus resurrected, present with you in your suffering. 